For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Good morning. Uh, Please stand for the reading of the Gospels. The scripture reading today is from Mark 1, 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The word of the Lord. Friends. I have a sport coat on today. You like it? No, really, you like it? (laughs) Oh, hi. We're in the first week of Lent, and uh, we follow the seasons of the church calendar around here, and we do it over and over again. And one of the funny things that preachers typically fear like around Easter and Christmas, is we fear repeating things. Because, you know, people remember the things we say so crystal clearly that if we repeat them, you know, they're just going to be bored. And the whole point of following the church calendar is to repeat things over and over and over again until they get in our bones. So Lent uh, is really about experiencing the wilderness of repentance, of turning around in order to reorient our lives back toward God. That's what Lent is about. And I think some of us uh, maybe are in seasons, or we've had seasons where we've intentionally turned away from God and walked a different direction, and we've made that choice. And then maybe many more of us uh, find ourselves today in the first Sunday of Lent feeling like I haven't necessarily chosen to walk away from God. Like there was never a point where I said, no, I am turning around and walking away from you, God. But now here you are in February 18th, 2018, realizing I think I've wandered, right? I mean, I think I've wandered away from where I want to be or from where I used to be. So Lent is a season of turning around and returning to God with all your heart. So wherever you are as we begin, uh, Lent really is a season to be honest about your life as it actually is, not as you want it to be. Amen? To be honest about your life as it actually is. It's the season where you find out that trying hard can't save you, that white knuckling isn't the point, that even if you've tried to give up something for Lent, 
And now here you are on day four, and all you can think about is that thing that you've given up, perhaps. Uh, by the way, um, raise your hand if you grew up practicing Lent. I just want to know. Okay, maybe half of us. I did not, actually. So actually, I, I, uh, I was talking to Nick last week, and our son Ash Wednesday, and he said, how do you feel about Lent? And I said, I'm not looking forward to it, <laughs> but I am anticipating something. And I think that's a good way to look at Lent, that you don't get a bunch of gold stars for making it every day without doing the thing, but it's a season to return. So it's fascinating to me that in the passage that Micah just read, Mark uses so few words to describe the wilderness experience of Jesus. So when describing the temptation of Jesus, I appreciate less words because I think we can imagine more. We can imagine what it might have been for Jesus. And as Heidi mentioned, it is preceded by this beautiful picture of Jesus' baptism. And if you'll notice, Mark's very intentional There's the son being baptized in the water. There's the spirit in the form of a dove. And there's the father speaking belovedness. And so Mark is very intentionally saying this is a new creation moment. Because in the first creation, Genesis 1, there was the father, there was the son, there was the spirit brooding over the waters. It's very intentional. So Mark is saying this is a new beginning. So it's interesting that the new beginning starts with the wilderness. (laughs) Awesome! So for any of you who are staring down the barrel of a new beginning, you maybe know what's coming. Some wilderness. So first, all play question. If you're new around here, all play questions are designed to hear your voice, not just my voice. They're not questions that are designed to get the right answer. They're questions that all of us together, we will find a better answer. So... If Lent is a time to get in touch with our humanity and to touch our limits, and if we're led into Lent by Jesus, who himself experienced wilderness, here's the all-play question. What were some of the limits that Jesus experienced? (laughs) Say it again, Greg. He had a physical body, different from his ephemeral body. Anyone else? Limits of Jesus. Okay, say more. Religion, yes. Right. Thanks, Karen. So he chose to challenge the religion of his time, the religion that he was a part of. He was Jewish. That's a newsflash for some of us. Jesus was never a Christian. You understand that, right? Never became a Christian. Never, ever. (laughs) So that messes with your theology a little bit, right? Is anyone bothered by that question? What are the limits of Jesus? All right, Charlie, you say you bothered. Why? Okay. Okay. So Charlie says, uh, if Jesus is 100% human 
and 100% God, then to say that Jesus was limited is to say that God is limited and that is not right. That's an excellent point. Uh, Okay, Sally says, it depends if you see process or process as a limit. Um, so, do you have any more to say about that, Sally? So I was just thinking about how like, he had to stretch himself because he couldn't understand the limit. But how do Okay. Let me ask some questions. And they're really serious questions. Did Jesus know algebra at age four? Did Jesus know Torah at age four? Did he have it memorized by age four? <laughs> when, Charlie's right. We don't know. Now, it does say, now this is just, I'm going to play devil's advocate. See, if, if me and Charlie were sitting, going back and forth, we would love it right now. So I, I, I mean, he loves this. So I would say there's a, there's a, Luke's, in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. So what does that mean? Okay, Will says he didn't know everything immediately. He had to learn it as a man. Now, if Jesus was fully human and fully God, is that like a switch he could turn on? Like is under his, his rib right here. It was just a little button. You know, no one knew it. He could kind of say, you know, like, ah. Oh. And then he knew everything, you know, and then when it was inconvenient, he would push that button, and then when it wasn't, then he was human. If he was, if he was tempted in every way, just like we are, as the scriptures say, then what does temptation look like for a man who has no limits? Ooh. Wouldn't that be like unlimited temptation? Man, I hope not, but maybe. Okay, Karen says, some of the freedom of choice. Yeah. Scotty is bringing, bringing up my deep question. Was Jesus really tempted in the wilderness, or was it just play-acting that we can follow. I mean, he said some great things in the wilderness. He gave us some great ammunition to, you know, fight back. He gave us scripture to fight back. Or, or was he really tempted or not? Becky says he had to be tempted. It had to be experience, not theory. Anyone care to bat the squash ball back at, at Becky Genesis 3, say more, Charlie. No, no, like, Our first split. Salvador. Fighting words. If you're new at Genesis right now, you're, you're just going, what is this place? I don't, I don't know what this place is. Say more. I am assuming the, the, the fall, the sin, the... Yep. 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 
So it might follow the new creation metaphor that Mark starts with the baptism, right? So first we have the creation, now we have the temptation, and Jesus is going to prevail. I actually, I actually am going to buy that for $500, but because I'm going to buy that for $500, Charlie, I would say if it really is true, if it really is him prevailing, he really had to be tempted. The, 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 the second Adam had to be tempted. So here, here's my cards face up. Jesus was tempted for real. He wasn't play acting. Just like when Jesus was sad, he was sad for real. He wasn't play acting. When he was hungry, he was hungry for real. He wasn't play acting. When he experienced pain, it was real pain. He wasn't play acting. Um, I believe he was weak, lonely, afraid, and vulnerable when he was in the wilderness, just like we are. I believe he, he was tempted most of all to leave his calling and to live a normal life. That's what he was most tempted by. I also believe that, in a way, the angels of God were ministering him to him the entire time. So I want to read to you. Um, I wrote a chapter about the wilderness, so this isn't fair. I've been thinking about this for years, and I even wrote a little part of a book about it. So um, this is my like novel, sort of uh, my midrash imagining of what at least part of his time in the wilderness would look like. So here it goes. He watched a single, this Jesus, that he is Jesus. He watched a single line of birds float along the horizon, a wispy reminder of how far he was from home and how he wasn't floating anywhere. He hadn't talked to anyone in weeks. He hadn't eaten anything either, but his belly had stopped rumbling. His eyes were slits that peered out of cavernous sockets, following geckos as they darted in and out of view. His mind had slowed with his breath as if his body were conserving something he would soon need. He slowly fingered each rib, counting them, his own bodily rosary. When he prayed, which was often, he felt that flesh and blood coursing beneath it. He thought about the mystery of how his own body housed such potent blood. He watched that blood trickle from his heel when he had scraped it on a sharp rock. He thought about flesh and blood in the wilderness, the place where dark plays with light, where the visible and the invisible aren't so separate after all. It was the friend who had led him there. Of that he was certain, though he was less certain why he was led out into the wilderness. He looked down at his feet, mottled with the dust of this barren place, and he remembered the day in the river. It was on that day that the friend had opened up his own soul, filling it with light and substance, a kind of heaviness that felt somehow both free and forever tethered to something. The voice had spoken when the friend had opened him up, when an indelible brand was burned within him. He was the son, the one who would receive the inheritance of a thousand kings and then share it with all of us everywhere. He was the son who was loved, the son who would love. Many days later, the day the hunger returned, he fingered his ribs again, now lines of mountain ranges underneath his sunken chest, sensing the presence of someone or something. He looked behind him then to his right and finally to his left. His movements were languid. He hadn't eaten for so long that he'd forgotten how bread tasted. And then he looked down at his feet, and there was bread. He could smell it, the flour and water and salt rising up into his mouth. And then the thought came to him that if he reached down and took a hold of it, he would be full. For a few fleeting moments, his hand, his hand hung there, fingers outstretched, reaching for it. His eyes closed, and suddenly he was surrounded by a grove of trees. He gasped. They filled him with a kind of longing that felt both familiar and utterly foreign. His arm remained reaching out, only this time it wasn't for bread, 
It was for fruit, Charlie. It was then he realized that he wasn't alone. A thought floated into his mind suggesting that if he didn't eat that fruit, he would die. When he opened his eyes, he had returned to the wilderness, to the bread by his feet. There it is, he thought, as he smiled. Bread for the hungry. The words poured into him and then out of him. He knew where this was and what this was. This was a test. Not for the first time, he experienced a kind of, a kind of filling that satisfied him, though his belly remained empty. He stared at the bread by his feet and was filled with something else, something wholesome. He knew it was the friend. He smiled. He felt his belly and pulled at the stretchy skin. He looked at his knees, now knobby, bruised from falling on the rocks. He thought about his own body, warm to the touch in the desert sun. It's like bread, he mused. And then he thought about his own blood that had flowed on the rock. It was dark like wine. My body and my blood. After that, he was tired, so he crawled into the cave and slept. When he awoke, the sun was setting over the rocks and the shadows stretched out long under the endless sky. He liked to walk when the moon was high and the air was cold. He looked up at the stars, wheeling across the universe, giving direction to wanderers, to sailors. He found a large boulder and sat down. He shivered, but this time it wasn't the temperature. He was frightened. His mind quickly turned to Abba, the one who had given him breath and also instructions, the one to whom he was utterly bound in every way. But for the first time, he felt constricted by those bonds. He felt limited, powerless, and weak. Anger floated around the edges, uh, edges of his mind, seeping in. He was lost in the wilderness where the friend had led him, and he was hungry. And then a thought broke into his mind like a stone hurled through a window. I will give you authority. I will give you freedom to choose to do what you want to do. You will be free to get married and experience the pleasure of a woman. Free to put down the burden of the world which you carry in your back every waking moment. Free to live a quiet life. Free to say no to Abba. Free to look into the eyes of your children and see yourself staring back at you. Free to farm the land and grow old. He wept for that woman, for that burden, and for that land. For a moment, he held it in his mind. He lingered on it as if it were a meal laid out for him, its aroma filling his nostrils. Then he fell, weakened by hunger and by the power of this longing. He stretched out his arms, palms flat on the ground, knees scraping rock, and then he noticed he was in a posture of prayer. And then an ancient question broke the dream wide open. What will you bring with you? And he knew that he wanted only one particular kind of freedom, the one that bound him only to Abba because Abba was home. The friend and Abba, they filled the loneliest places inside of him in ways that nothing and no one else did. That's what, brought, that's what he brought with him. And he knew the place that he was going, the place of promise, the place he would lead others to enter. He knew that that was the only true choice for him. He knew that Abba had led him to this point. He knew that Abba had cared for his people, had rescued them from slavery, and would rescue them again. And he knew that freedom to choose to do what he wanted wasn't freedom at all, if it meant freedom without Abba. At night, he walked under the moon. During the days he slept, his hair was tangled and his beard matted, and he smelled. His fingernails were jagged and covered in dirt. His feet were cut bound with rags. He became aware of his own suffering. His body was dying. His digestive system had shut down. His urine, in the rare times that it flowed, was brown, the color of the Jordan River. 
his heart had slowed to a faint murmur. Then he fell back, stretched out his arms on each side, palms upward, and closed his eyes. He heard shouts all around him, angry accusations. His head burned as if pierced by a ring of fire. He couldn't move. He gasped with pain and from a lack of breath. The rags that barely covered him fluttered in the breeze. His hands were claws. His heart was broken. He looked down and saw shadowy figures by his feet. He tried to focus on them, but his eyes failed. For the third time in the wilderness, he knew he was not alone. Jump down off this place of pain and destruction. Abba will surely catch you and take away your misery. Words poured out of his mouth, a revolutionary bark that came from somewhere deep within. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. His body was a shell at this point, a rock. And suddenly he was surrounded by a group of people. He was aware of their fear and their thirst. A man was standing on a rock with a staff in his hand. He suddenly struck the rock with that staff and a loud crack pierced the air. Water poured out of that rock and all the people clamored around to drink it. It was then that he felt the water flowing from his side mixed with blood and all was quiet. It is finished, Jesus thought, as he got up off the ground and slowly walked out of that wilderness toward home. So question, what is temptation at its core? Thanks, Greg. The invitation to forget who you are. Anyone else? Oof. An invitation to forget whose you are, Bob said. Charles. An opportunity to meet your own needs without God. So, to be tempted, Greek word perizao, it means to test or to assay. When you assay gold, you burn off the impurities until only what's pure is left. It's from the root word peira, which means to experience or to know from experience, which is what Becky was saying earlier. It's also, peira is closely related to peiran, which means from the other side or beyond. So Jesus, in his temptation, and us in our temptation, experience all of those things. We know ourselves, from experience when we touch our limits. We know God from experience when God is able to deliver us in the middle of our longing and in the middle of our weakness. So you and I are journeying through our own sense of wilderness during Lent. And you need to remember that you're a human being and Lent is an opportunity to get in touch with your humanity and touch your limits and find the God that will meet you when you run out No extra gold stars for anyone who white knuckles it and makes it through Lent by trying hard. It's an opportunity to fail and realize that God is with you, especially in your failure. That God ministers to you when you have given up. So some last thoughts from Jesus and his temptation. You you and I, we'll be tempted for real. We're not play-acting because it's Lent. You and I will experience weakness, loneliness, fear, 
and vulnerability this season. You and I will be tempted most of all to leave our calling, our sense of who we are and whose we are, to live a different life, a more convenient one. And you and I will be ministered to by God the entire time, but we'll have to choose to remain in that ministering or protection over and over and over again during this season. And as I said on Ash Wednesday, the temptation is to walk through Lent alone, but the invitation for this community is to walk together through it. Amen? So welcome to Lent. <laughs> Everybody ready?